Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. This podcast was recorded at our last gathering. Teaching like this is how we worship together every other week. We look to the scriptures seeking to become more like Christ. We're glad you're listening. This is called O Thirsty. Well, it's all conceptual, philosophical, existential. In my thirst for knowledge, I go to sleep, let you two fight it out. I'm fine. I know I don't have it all right. I don't say so either. I know I don't, and I don't need to have it all right. If Bartimaeus, Nicodemus, Peter, the well woman, and the thief is us, what do I fret for? What do I fear for? Why do I go so fast and live like the Lord is me? A Lord named anxiety? I slow down, screw my head back on. Yeah, it's all physical. It's all irrelevant. We build walls around what we think you meant. We invent the advent, advent the intent. Strong arm, look down around what we think you meant. Me, I fell in love with the golden calf. Bathsheba, Mammon, and Potiphar's wife too. And I came back thirsty, again. Still you say, come and drink, again. I go back in to sort out the doctrine, trade faith all in for facts, and I come back thirsty, again. Still you say, come and drink again. Come, O thirsty, and drink. This is the part where I get to stand up and try to say more than what's already been said. Um, I was reading a a New York Times article um, this week it's from 2012, um, but that's the story of my life. I'm usually a day late and a dollar short, as my dad would like to say, um, which I guess is why I shop at thrift stores, because I can get last year's fashions at a discount price. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this article is Why Waiting is Torture by Alex Stone. Uh, and according to the article, Americans spend around 37 billion hours per year waiting in lines, leading to much stress that our valuable time is being squandered in queue. We hate to wait. And then this article digs into the psychology of waiting, how lines impact us us, and how businesses are very invested in trying to improve, distract from, or even exploit the waiting process. I'm sure none of you have ever bought a pack of mints, a candy bar, some extra batteries, some lip balm, or a magazine you'd otherwise have no interest in purchasing at a checkout counter. I'm sure I'm the only one. No, wait, I haven't spent the 5.5 billion annually on impulse purchases at supermarkets, so I'm not the only one. But maybe I'm the only one who has walked back and forth across the checkout lanes looking for the shortest line, and then kept my eye on the line next to me and said, that one's moving a little faster only to get really discouraged when the short line I thought thought I found stalled out by a price check. Frustration. One of my favorite articles, or favorite stories from the article is actually about the Houston airport, uh, who was receiving massive amounts of complaints about the waiting that people had to do for their baggage, at the baggage claims, at the carousels. So the airport tried to respond by beefing up their uh, baggage handling staff increase their handling staff 
and actually got the wait, down, wait time down to eight minutes, which is pretty impressive, I think. But the complaints persisted. They kept getting massive complaints about the time, eight minutes. So they looked into the matter a little bit more. And they discovered that passengers spent one minute walking from their gate to the carousel and then seven minutes waiting. So maybe you've already guessed how they addressed the issue. <laughs> Move the arrival gate a little bit further away from the carousel. So now people are walking for six minutes and waiting for two minutes. Complaints almost non-existent. When it comes to waiting, we'd most certainly rather be doing something, anything, rather than doing nothing. As Alex Stone calls this, the drudgery of unoccupied time. We're coming into a holiday season, Thanksgiving this week. I love Thanksgiving. It kind of bothers me that I'm talking about Advent before Thanksgiving has even happened. My wife knows that I tell her we can't listen to Christmas music until Thanksgiving is over, but here I am talking about Advent. We don't like waiting for Christmas. Fortunately, this time of year seems to go very fast, but I think that's because our culture finds lots of ways to profit from the psychology of waiting. There's a bustle in this season that can serve to distract us, not necessarily bad things, but not necessarily helpful or purposeful, just an unnecessary walk through the airport to baggage claim. But the, the, the waiting is also full of opportunities for that impulse shopping. But as we enter into the season of Advent, I think this is a really important season as a church that calls us to a different kind of waiting. It's a season in the church calendar that reminds us that we are awaiting people and invites us to reconsider how we wait. It's a season where we remember the Israelite people, the exiles, the prophets, longing, waiting for a Messiah. So Advent takes us back to their waiting, waiting as we build up toward Christmas, where we celebrate the birth of that Messiah, the birth of Jesus, God become flesh the conceptual, existential become physical. And Advent draws us in to remind us of our need for a savior, to remind us that though we were created good, we have sinned. We have been wounded and we have wounded and we need someone outside ourselves to save us, to forgive us, to heal us, to restore us. We need a savior. And this season invites us to celebrate that he has indeed come. And Advent also reminds us that we too are awaiting a longing people because we can clearly see that the world is not how it should be. Pain, sickness, brokenness, idolatry, anxiety, injustice, sexism, racism, classism, otherisms, we're waiting waiting for our King to come again, to make all things new, to make all things whole, to make all things right, to defeat death and evil for good and fulfill the hope of peace 
joy, and love for all eternity. In Revelation, um, the Lord gives John this vision of what that future looks like, of what we're longing for. In chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. And then the next chapter, 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Friends, we're waiting for something glorious. We are waiting and preparing for the celebration of the coming of Jesus, his birth and his incarnation that changed the trajectory of history. But we're also waiting for his second coming and the glory of all things made new and beautiful. We're waiting for something beautiful. As a popular musician once sang, the waiting is the hardest part but I'm pretty sure that God knows a little something about the psychology of waiting. In Romans eight, Paul writes this. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor, labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. 
grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We're longing. All creation is longing. All creation is waiting. And yet in the midst of that, did you catch that? We have the first fruits of the spirit in the present. If you weren't with us uh, two weeks ago at gathering, you missed out on, on something special, but you didn't miss out because you're still part of it. And it's something that we're going to see continuing. There has been a palpable hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit within this community. We recognize that as we are waiting for this future glory, we need the Holy Spirit. We want more of God now and we want the Holy Spirit to fill us to lead us, to guide us, to empower us. And we're seeing the first fruits of this first fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit speaking, giving dreams, giving images, words to encourage and affirm. Some people experiencing healing and the gifts of healing being unlocked and unleashed in people. I know that some of us, myself included, come from backgrounds for which the Holy Spirit makes us uneasy. Um, but what, as Dwayne, one of our elders, reminded us this past week that the goodness and love of God follows us all the days of our lives. God is good, and if God is good, then the Spirit of God is also good. God is love, then the Spirit of God is love. And so however the Holy Spirit's going to lead us in the days to come and the weeks to come, He is trustworthy. And the Holy Spirit groans with us in all of creation for the renewal of all things. So we can put down our umbrellas, trusting that the Holy Spirit is good. And as the Lord pours out the Holy Spirit, we receive him as first fruits of what the Lord is calling us to. The future is being pulled into the present, as Cindy talked about. These dreams being pulled into reality. I'm going to read again from Revelation chapter 22, verses 16 through 21. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let all who wish and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, I will take away from that person any share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, it echoes throughout this passage. Come, come, come. I'm going to read it again. And as I read, when I say the word come, I would love for you just to echo that back. Call it out, come, because that is the, 
the ringing bell of this passage. Come, come. So I'm going to read it. And again, I just invite you to echo. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, come Lord Jesus. A few months ago, Dennis has been talking about this passage or just saying that line, the spirit and the bride say, come, we were praying. And and then we were talking about Advent and for some reason we started talking about weddings and I was like, that's really interesting because Dennis keeps saying the spirit and the bride say, come. And so somehow we landed on this as our theme for Advent, but it makes sense because Advent means come means coming. And, and Michael put together this beautiful, fascinating graphic. And then they painted this, the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit's desire is for us to live out the fullness of being sons and daughters of God. I think it's just fascinating. The, the, the Romans passage and the revelation passage. the Romans passage talks about us. The spirit intercedes for us and affirms our identity as God's children. And all of creation is groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. We want to live out of that identity. And now all of a sudden in this revelation passage, we start talking about the bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit is calling us to grow up, to grow up. To move not just from being children of God, but to being the bride of Christ. And there's all kinds of really fascinating things to think about in terms of these metaphors. What they mean about our identity and about how the Lord feels about us as a parent, but then also as a bridegroom longing for his bride. And the spirit is preparing us like some sort of expert premarital counselor. Yes, the Holy Spirit is called the counselor. So maybe that fits. I don't know. From premarital counseling, you're learning the identity of your spouse and who you are going to be together. Moving into union, what does it look like to share this life together? And so the Holy Spirit is showing us all the things about Jesus and the ways in which he wants us to live like Jesus did. And to take on the identity of Jesus. That Jesus desires us, longs for us, delights and joys in us as a bridegroom, delights in his bride. Choosing us and continuing to choose us. Growing us into a relationship of mutuality. We will be co-laborers, co-ruling, reigning as queen together with the king. And guys, it's okay. I'm a guy too. I will, I don't care what it looks like. (laughs) Feels a little weird to talk about myself as a bride or as a queen, but this metaphor is beautiful. And because Jesus already came, we can be the bride that God desires for him. 
Mike Bickle writes this uh, or says this about this scene. He says, the wedding of the lamb is one of the most significant days in human history. And it is one of the greatest achievements of the cross that the body of Christ, the people of God, us weak and broken people would be qualified for that level of relationship. That we are qualified to be the bride of Christ. The fact that the bride will be ready is one of the greatest miracles of the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit in history. Jesus is coming again for the bride he desires. And the Holy Spirit prepares us to be that bride. The bride that Jesus is looking for. A bride whose heart beats with his heart. A bride who knows that there is a bridegroom who has a deep desire for us, a longing to be in union with us for eternity. So he's given us the first fruits of the Holy Spirit to prepare us to choose to be in union with Jesus forever, to mature us into a bride of whom Jesus is worthy. And T. Wright writes, it is the spirit that enables the bride to be the bride. It is the spirit that enables the martyrs to keep up their courage and bear true witness. It is the spirit that inspires the great shouts and songs of praise. The spirit goes out from God's throne and breathing into them. And then through the hearts, minds, and lives of people of every nation, tribe, and tongue returns in praise to the father and the lamb. This is the picture of the Trinity and the bride. We, the bride are caught up in that inner divine life. So that when the spirit says, come, the bride says, come to her beloved. And we can't tell whether this is the spirit or the bride, because the answer is both the spirit and the bride say, come to her beloved. The spirit of the Messiah enables his bride, us, to be who we are called to be. And the spirit awakens in one and in another, in the church, in the war zone, in the throne room, in the island of exile, in the house of torment, in the hearts of men and women, in the dreams of little children, the bishop's bench, the scholar's study, in the classroom, in the courtroom, at the gym and at the library, in the boys and girls club and in our homes. The prayer, the cry, the song, the hope, the love, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus. And Bickle says this about this come, asking Jesus to come. It is an intimacy. We're asking Jesus to come near us that we can be in close relationship with Jesus to experience individual breakthrough. We're also asking Jesus to come not only near us, but come to us in revival to experience justice, healing, transformation, regional and global breakthrough. Like pastors being trained around the globe to move into hostile territory to proclaim the gospel. Jesus, come near us, come to us, and come for us to be with you in a historic and cosmic breakthrough at the second coming for all eternity. Come, Lord Jesus. Our hope has a name. Our peace has a name. Our joy has a name. 
Our love has a name. That name is Jesus, and we say, come, Lord Jesus. But the echoes throughout this passage aren't just to Jesus. The come is also a proclamation and an invitation to the world. To our friends, to our neighbors, to our enemies, come, drink, anyone who is thirsty. We are not being asked to wait passively. We're not just standing at the baggage carousel. We're walking, but not just because they've moved the distance a little bit further. We're walking because Jesus invites us on mission. We are being commissioned, commissioned together with one another as one bride, all of us together, commissioned with the power of the Holy Spirit. N.T. Wright continues in, in describing this passage. Throughout Revelation, we're told that the Lamb's followers are to be a royal priesthood. We, as the Bride of Christ, are also called a royal priesthood. And the vision is, shows us what this means. From the city, the city which is the Bride, which is us, the Bride, which is the Lamb's followers, us, it is from that, from us, that flows healing restorative stewardship is to flow. We have the living water, the Holy Spirit, and we become living water for those around us. And we say, come and drink. I have living water for you. This is an active waiting. And so we proclaim it to all of those around us as a bride. We say, come to the wedding feast. So this future reality, we have glimpses of it here in the present with the first fruits of the spirit. And this come also echoes to us. So it echoes to Jesus, it echoes to our neighbors, and it echoes to us. Because I believe we need to hear this come from the Holy Spirit every day. To be reminded what the Lord wants for us the deep life-giving relationship that Jesus wants to draw us into, the most beautiful marriage in which we regularly drink from the spring of life. Come, echoes, as we join with the Spirit, inviting others and inviting us. Come. Come, you who are busy. Yes, you, come. You who don't think you have time to come. This is the most important, the most vital invitation you have. Come, come that you might have rest. Come that you might have lifefulness restored. Come, you who are disappointed and despairing. Meet the one who is hope and join the hope-filled bride. Come, you who are anxious you whose relationships have been ravaged by betrayal and distrust, come, meet the one who is peace, the one who is the peacemaker, and join the peace-filled bride. Come, you who are sad and depressed, you who are burdened with grief and weighed down by pain, come, meet the one who is joy, who delights in you, 
and longs to share true joy with you. Come and join the joyful bride. Come you who are lonely, you who've been abandoned and rejected, you who feel unloved and unworthy. Come and meet the one who is love, the one who longs for you and loves you with an unending love, the one who declares you worthy. Come and join the beloved bride. Come, you who are thirsty, drink from the rivers of life. Come, you who are hungry, drop your granola bar and sit down for the wedding feast. Come, you who are sick and hurting, be healed by the leaves of the tree of life. Come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, all you people, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. Our Lord, our hope, our peace, our joy, our love, our Lord has overcome the world. And our victorious Bridegroom King is coming back to marry the Bride who has been made worthy by his own blood and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let our hearts continue burning for our King is soon returning. As we hold to this assurance, Spirit come, make us ready. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.